Welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at the Institute and your host for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is the fourth in our continuing series on the future of remote work and what it might mean for businesses, communities, and policymakers in Delaware and beyond. So far, we've covered lessons learned from managing a remote work environment and talked about potential economic and office space implications. Today, we're focused on one not-so-simple question about the remote work experience. What will it be like when more and more of us find our way back to the office? To explore, I spoke with two of my Biden School of Public Policy and Administration colleagues on March 17, 2021. Jennifer Daniels is a PhD student in the Biden School and the past Associate Director of the University of Delaware's Office of Equity and Inclusion. Kathy Murphy is my fellow Associate Director at the Institute for Public Administration, where she leads the Conflict Resolution Program. Our discussion highlighted some of the dynamics leaders should consider as the remote teams transition back to in-person work. Let's get to the conversation. Thanks so much, Jennifer and Kathy, for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking time. Thanks for having us. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yes, same here. So just over a year ago, we were engaged with a state agency to kind of take them through what we were calling a leadership academy, get them thinking about what it meant to be leading, managing, and kind of coexisting with others in an organization, but also in their, you know, broader personal professional life. And in that year, a lot has changed. We've all kind of experienced a lot in different ways. And so the goal for this conversation was really to kind of refresh ourselves about what we were trying to communicate and kind of reflect on what's changed as we head back to the office which also won't look the same for every individual organization. And we're going back to something that is familiar work, but it's probably not going to be exactly the same. So I look at it as kind of a lot of trauma and uncertainty that we dealt with over this past year. And we all faced it and we'll be facing folks who dealt with it in a different way over the last year and experienced different trauma and uncertainty from the pandemic to social unrest, kind of a reawakening of awareness around systemic racism, social isolation in many forms, too much of your family at home. It took on a lot of different shapes for people. So I want to start, and I'll kick this to you, Jennifer, this question to start off. Where do we think people's heads are going to be as they go back to working in, in their organizations over these next several months? So, Troy, I think that's a really, really great question that you're asking. And you hit on a lot of those points earlier in talking about this multifaceted trauma and negative experiences that we've had since really going through the pandemic and working from home. We've seen increased levels of social unrest. We're dealing with the traumas of the pandemic and what that means for us as individuals, what that means for us, for our families, what that means for us as employees. And I think it's so important for us to understand that we are dealing with multi-layered grief and anxiety and loss, and not just in the physical sense and condolences to anyone who has lost a loved one or someone they care about from coronavirus, from living through this pandemic, but also thinking about the loss of normalcy and community 
and connection and even sense of purpose for many of us in the ways that our jobs have changed. And so when we think about coming back into our workspaces, we have to understand that our employees and even us as individuals, we're going to be bringing that with us. And so thinking about coming back to work and and, and what that means, there can also be changes and uncertainties just from coming back into the workplace. What are the implications for, let's say, if you have children, right? And let's say if you're, you're an organization and you know that you are being called back into the office, but maybe you're keeping your kids at home or out of school, you're still doing virtual learning and this change in your work environment now means you have to send your kids back to school. Or what are your concerns about your personal health? What does that mean? And how does that affect you in your workspace? And these are all things that we definitely have to be mindful of. And that's just talking about the pandemic and, and the coronavirus. When we add in the social and political unrest that we've all been going through, what that means for connecting with our colleagues and What are the fears around that? And could there possibly be conflict? I know we'll talk about that a little bit later in the program, but we're not robots. We are humans that have feelings and have anxieties. And we've all dealt with a lot in this last year. And it doesn't just go away just because we're coming back to work. And so I think that that's something that we all should be thinking about, irrespective of what our position is within our organization. And one follow up that comes to mind is a lot of people had they had the opportunity to really only internalize the feelings they had around the pandemic or social unrest because they just weren't bumping into as many people day in and day out. How do we deal with that? This bottled up year of uncertainty and trauma as people go back. Well, I know if we kind of look at what's happening in the world of politics and the larger society, it may be kind of discouraging because I don't think that we've all been able to come into, you know, one accord and find cohesion and community quite yet. That can very much, you know, carry into our workspace, especially depending on the types of jobs that we're doing. But I'd say in a larger, more positive note, really trying to extend grace and patience with the people you work with is so important. The same way that we need it as individuals, right? So I'm saying this, uh, this is something that we need to think about for others, but this is something that we also need as well. So really trying to practice that as the individual in the way you engage with other colleagues and employees and people just in general is, is very important for this. And practicing patience, I mean, that should be you know, something you do at the workplace. Grace, we may not think about as much, although it should be. But how does that play out? And what kind of practices should people be taking on other than just saying, be graceful, be patient with people? What does that look like? The communication is going to be key. I think that we can make a lot of assumptions and interpret emails and conversations into something that may be negative, right? We don't, we don't know that, but over-communicating, really trying to have clarifying points, right? Not making that assumption, following up if something feels awry or uncomfortable, but giving people an opportunity to explain and, and to really be better, I think is how we can put that 
grace into action. And Kathy, thinking about conflict, which was the session that you delivered when we were in person, what is conflict going to look like as we go back? What do we think the topics will be? It's going to be more frequent, more severe. <laughs> what are the adjectives mm-hmm. that come to mind and mm-hmm. the areas where you think we're going to be dealing with th- some of these things? So we will definitely have conflict. That's a guarantee. And just like when we started the pandemic, anytime you have change, that usually means you're going to have conflict. So conflict change and change often creates conflict. They sort of go hand in hand. When the pandemic hit, we certainly had a lot of change and a lot of adjustment. Going back, it's going to be more of the same. The types of conflicts I think we're going to see is you're going to have some of the same conflicts that you had before because they're still going to be there. They're unresolved. We didn't deal with them. They will still be there. So anything that already existed within a system or your organization or your team or, you know, you with other individuals, they will all still be there. You're just going to have more. So we have additional ones. Some of that is going to have to do with people's expectations for going back. And so talking about the conflict and organizations and leaders and the people who they lead, what's going to be important is for leaders to listen. As Jennifer was saying, how important communication is. And it's important to understand that communication is a two-way street. There's probably going to be a tendency to jump into categorizing and stereotyping people and assuming what problems will be. And an example of that would be everyone with children are going to have a problem if, you know, we need to worry about whether their children are still at home or people who are over a certain age are going to be concerned about health. So there's going to be a lot of stereotyping, but what's going to be important is for, again, with this communication and listening is understanding what is really going on for people. Some people will have children, will need to be home, and others won't need to be home, and they may want to be into the office. So not just assuming that we know the answers and also not assuming we know what the problems are. We're going to really need to listen to one another to understand what the problems are. Each of us just sees one piece, okay? We see one piece. We see things through our own perspective, things that impact us, but we don't know the whole. So there are problems and concerns that people could identify that we would never think of. Those are the things that the leadership of an organization are going to have to become aware of and they're going to have to address. And just also for supervisors who are listening, sometimes people don't know what they need immediately. And if you ever talk with to somebody who has a problem, they can tell you all the things that are wrong and that they're upset about and why they're upset. And also if they were talking about their workplace or working with colleagues or whatever, they can describe all of those things. But when you stop and ask them, what is it that they need? Sometimes they, they need some time to figure that out. Because most of us spend so much time in our heads replaying those tapes about what is wrong, but little time on figuring and asking ourselves and figuring out what is it that we really need. And so one way we can help people is by letting them talk 
and listening to them and using active listening and saying back. And a lot of times they can figure that out for themselves. Earlier, we had talked a little bit about people coming back with all of these things pen up. You know, how do you come back and be generous and patient and graceful? The only way I know people can do that is I would say, how do you do that for yourself? And there are going to be a lot of people that don't do that for themselves, and they haven't in this past year. So they haven't focused on their mental health, spiritual health, or perhaps their physical health. And so in order to help somebody else, you can't give it away if you don't have it. You sort of have to know how to be kind and graceful with yourself and how to take care of yourself in order to take care of others. So there are going to be people that can't do it because they can't do it for themselves. And we need to be able to recognize that. And then again, providing folks with either resources or opportunities to learn. And we need organizations to be generous and thoughtful in helping people help themselves. And so just recognizing that people are going to be in, you know, Everybody's going to be in a different place. Everybody's going to come in with a different set of expectations and emotions. And just knowing that that is going to happen, you know, we just all need to be prepared. And for me, that would mean coming in, spending time with people, not assuming that we're going to jump back in the way it was before, checking with people and seeing how they're doing expecting things to take a little bit longer and people not to be, you know, operating on a hundred percent. And then again, revisiting and asking questions of them and checking in with others and learning from each other. I want to talk a little bit about like the settings for active listening, you know, saying you're going to communicate with people you're supervising and really listen to what they need, not just the piece, the whole, what are some settings where that might work well or, or supervisors might try it out? Well, one, some organizations about this time of year are doing performance appraisals. And if you're spending an hour or so, that might be an opportunity. A lot of folks are doing weekly check-in meetings. You can do that there. You can do it one-on-one. -on -one. You can also do it in smaller groups as long as folks are comfortable. You know, sometimes it doesn't have to be on Zoom. Sometimes a phone call is better. But I, I think the important thing is that there, you're making a connection and you're seeking information for some, from, from folks and that they know that there is somebody there that can talk to them and listen. And I would never expect for one person to have to do that for, I don't, you know, 30 or more people. Um, so you have to enlist help if you're in that situation. Where could it go sideways? I guess like what's the, the opposite end of how could it go well? What are the settings that uh, it operates in? What's the negative view on this? What are some pitfalls people should watch out for? Joy, the negative, the pitfalls are if you think you're a good <laughs> listener and you're not. So <laughs> if, you, if you're saying I'm going to do this, you don't really know how to do it. So, so that would look like you start judging somebody, interrupting them, giving your opinion, talking about yourself, getting a little bit of information from them and trying to solve their problem. And it's none of that. It really 
it's acknowledging what what you're what you're hearing and what they are saying and you're doing a lot less than you normally would. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to solve the problems, figure things out, them, assure them, change them, convince them, none of that. You're just telling them what you're hearing and then you're letting them take that back and do something with that. And that's really valuable for people. And, you know, where we started was that last year has really been so different for so many people. You know, there's been such difference in that uncertainty, how the pandemics hit them, how all these other factors have hit them. And so, Jennifer, I wanted you to kind of reflect on the session that you delivered, which was about leading diverse teams. What key lessons do you say still apply and are even potentially more important now as we come back together as a team? I think the first place here really is going back to that place of utilizing empathy with our leadership and the ways that we engage with others, right? Seeking to understand and to not always be right, you know? And this plays, this plays a big part in what Kathy just mentioned earlier with these communication tactics and how they could go well and how they can go wrong. And I like to expand on that, really thinking about this difference between dialogue versus debate. Right. Oftentimes, and what we've been seeing a lot of more broadly in our society is engaging in these conversations in a very type of a debating kind of way. When we're debating, though, we seek to be right and to show our way is the best way. But encouraging teams and leaders of teams to really push for dialogue with their team members, right? When we are engaging in dialogue, We're first seeking to understand that other person's position. And then we're trying to communicate in a way where the message that I am trying to deliver to you, that the intention that I have behind my message is actually delivered and received in that way that I intended it to be. And so that takes a lot of us regulating our own emotions and reactions and uh, dealing with what our own frustrations may be first before we engage our team members and have these expectations of them. Another element here to add is really uh, resisting the urge to invalidate someone else's experiences, feelings, right? Uh, Emotions, whatever they may be dealing with. And again, Kathy mentioned this earlier in terms of you don't know what people may be bringing with them. We don't know what their traumas are. We don't know how people have been impacted within our social unrest or the pandemic going on and on. We don't, especially economically, even just thinking about the pandemic, I know we didn't get to speak about that a lot, but even though uh, many of us, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably been fortunate enough to still have a steady income coming in. But what does that mean for your partners or your family or whomever else you care about in terms of some of those economic disadvantages that many of us have have faced because of the pandemic. And so how do we find a way to say what you're going through, what your perspective is, is valid. And I don't have to feel the need to say that that way of feeling or that emotion that you have is wrong. So that all ties together, that empathy, the dialogue, not invalidating experiences. This is all, these are all the things that are going to help create and foster a positive work environment. And that's ultimately what we want to aim for, especially given the times that we're in right now. 
and, you know, thinking about hearing people, listening to perspectives, getting a sense of what their needs are, giving them opportunity to connect as a community. That seems like an additional full-time job. As you mentioned, people are, you know, in the workplace to do work. How do we kind of ensure that that work still gets done in light of all this trauma that people are bringing to the workplace from the last year? Well, I definitely think, especially going back to the leading diverse teams, one of the things that we emphasized there was goal setting. And that's going to be our long-term goals, whether that's for the year, for the quarter, you know, for the month, and then breaking that down into smaller manageable parts, which are what are our weekly goals? What do you want those outputs to be? And my personal philosophy is as long as we are hitting our targets and our main goals, we don't have to micromanage every single minute, every single hour of our workday, right? I mean, no one likes to be micromanaged. And I know definitely with working from home, that has been really tough for a lot of organizations. And how do I make sure the work is still getting done? How do I make sure that my employees are still showing up? And the reality is we cannot see and watch every single thing that all of our employees do. But can we ensure that our benchmarks are being met? If our benchmarks aren't being met, then that probably means, all right, maybe we need to take out some of the fun time and the community team building activities and focus more on our productivity and how do we produce and deliver. But if we're hitting those major goals that we're setting from the very beginning, we should be able to have some of that time be a little bit looser and allow for that autonomy and or allow for an opportunity for people to connect with each other. And so I don't think that 20 minutes here, you know, once a month or 30 minutes or one hour once a month is too much for us to ask from one another, particularly if it's going to help with our camaraderie and our, our team climate and the way that we work together, if that makes sense. Jennifer, those are really good ideas. And as you were speaking on those, I something else sort of occurred to me, and that is that you we can't just set aside time and always be building community and checking in and listening to folks. And it really isn't about like giving everybody an opportunity to bring in as many problems as you, you know, can and share them and we'll help you figure it out. It is, it is a place of work. What we really just want to do is we do want to support people when they are having difficulty. And there are usually in most workplaces, there are some structures and policies in place where people can get some help through professionals through through HR, or they can seek some time off, or you know, just get help addressing their needs. They also probably have somebody that they work with that they can sometimes talk to. Another idea is when you see there's a need, Troy, you you've brought up active listening a couple times, and if uh, the, you know you you feel like your team or your organization needs some practice around that or any other type of skill that's going to be necessary when we sort of make additional changes, then provide that training. You know, things can be done in an hour. You can spend more time. You get a lot. You can learn a lot in an hour. And you can also tack on additional time 
in that learning opportunity for engagement amongst your employees. As we think about kind of the big picture things leaders need to keep in mind as they head back to the office, I've heard communication. I've heard and listened to active listening. I've heard about empathy. Uh, what are some of the other key things that you know I might be capturing right now, but that you think leaders just need to have a checklist, so to speak, of, of things that they are keeping an eye on as the people go back to the office? Well, one thing that I didn't get to mention maybe explicitly in this conversation that we've been having for leaders is to really focus on that self-awareness, right? Just as we have, we've been emphasizing our employees coming back with these emotions and traumas and, and, and things that they're worried about, as a leader, so do you. And how do we ensure that we are not taking out what our personal grievances or insecurities or traumas may be onto our team members and making them responsible for it? And so I, I think that that is number one in and how we are really going to grapple with coming back into our workspaces in this uncertain time and, and environment. And, and the next is really uh, refraining from leading with ego. We know you're the boss. We know you have the power, right? And, and, and that is great. And, and obviously you're in your position for a reason. Someone put you in that position for a reason. But really trying to refrain from I'm leading from a place of ego and, and making sure that everyone knows that you need to do what I say needs to happen. Right. Focusing more on that servant leadership. What does my team need to be successful? What do the individual uh, employees need? What are their struggles? What are they facing and how can I better support them in meeting our organization's goals? I would add to that, that leaders should, first of all, just accept what is. So this is a really strange, unusual time. It's going to be messy. There's no playbook for how to do this, okay? And again, coming back to what Jennifer just said about the self-awareness, if that is something that is difficult for you, then enlist some help for how to get yourself in a better place or somebody to walk you through what is going to happen. The other piece I'm thinking about is don't sit around thinking, what will I do if my employees are anxious or having conflict uh, or emotional? Because just ask yourself, what will I do when there is the conflict, people are emotional and people are anxious? It will happen. It's already happening. It's there. So just believe it. And seeking professionals from the outside who can come in and assist you. You don't have to do everything alone. Getting their help and knowing what to do and how to do it. And they can even do, again, like some of the training or dealing with some of the things that your folks are going through. They can help with that. And if you are struggling with some people on your team and you're not sure what to do, ask them what they need. They can usually tell you, you don't have to figure it all out. When you don't understand what's going on, ask them 
And the last piece is for any leaders who are listening to this and they feel like they have to completely turn them, themselves inside out and do things differently, that's not true. You still need to run your organization. It is a workplace. So set some boundaries about how much time is spent on this. And then also have your expectations for you know, productivity and your, your team and your organization being successful. You know, I appreciate you both kind of talking us collectively through this messy process. There's no playbook, as you said, Kathy, but you can still kind of have expectations. You can still have boundaries. And I'm, you know, really thankful for the chance to talk to you both about kind of the back to the office adventure that we're all embarking on in different stages in different ways. So thank you so much, Kathy and Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you, Troy. For more on this series on the future of remote work, Consult the show notes and look out for articles posted on the website of the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration, ipa.udel.edu. Thanks again for tuning in to First Aid Insights. Reach out with any comments and be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Whether you're working remotely or you're back in the office, I hope to join us again soon.